You're listening to the Echo Church Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at echowashington.org. So the first week, we read our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? This was us trying to paint a picture of who God is, that God is our Father, and he's a Father that's never too busy for us. You never interrupt him. He's never going to be like, just give me a minute. I got to check Facebook, right? Like he's not a guy that does that. He is always open. He's never too busy. And so we run to him and we can trust him because he knows what's best for us. Okay, so he loves us in a way that, that one day we'll get to experience fully and now we only have a glimpse of it. So we learn that he is holy, he's righteous, he's set apart, but his, his doors are open through Christ for us. So we learn the first part of our prayer is understanding this foundation that we have a father in heaven who cares about us. And so we go to him with our prayers. We connect with him with our prayers. It was us praying to him, not him praying to us. The second thing we learned last week, um, Brandon came down and preached, was your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the idea that, that God is sovereign in all things. And so our prayers always have to line up with his, with his desire, his will, his decree. Um, there's a psalm, I can't remember the exact reference, but it says, um, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. This has been abused and taken out of context so many times because desire, desires of my heart are so selfish most of the time, right? Like, if I had the desires of my heart, it, it would be so centered around things rather than him. And I think the, 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 the psalm writer, when he's writing this psalm about the desires of your heart. I think he's saying that the Lord is your desire. When he's your desire, then he gives him yourself, right? He gives you himself. And so we have to know that in heaven, the Lord's will is being done. And even through sinful, wicked people as ourselves, as this world, the Lord's will is being done. It's being accomplished, right? Like we need to be thinking of the world in a good way, that the gospel as it saturates our lives, our community, this world, that that's a good thing. And it brings goodness to those around them, even if they're not saved. And so we have to be hopeful in knowing that God is all-knowing, all-encompassing, all-powerful, and all-reigning, even in the midst of what appears to be chaos, right? Like, the things that our governments are passing, the abuse of Christians, the abuse of the unborn, the abuse of the less desirable, if that does not stir your heart with a fire. I don't know what does, but we have to believe that God is going to redeem it all and that he's at work now. So God is going to save his people and he's going to do his thing and we get to be a part of it. So we have to be hopeful in that. So when we pray our father, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like his kingdom's coming and it exists here spiritually. And one day it will fully encompass us and he's working his way out. So that's a second part of our prayers. We're praying that we pray for the desires of our heart, that, that my prayer for Christine and I this last couple weeks has been, Lord, give me a desire and a hunger and a thirst for you. Like That's been my prayer. I have it on my phone. I, I wrote down prayers for Christine, for our family, for our kids, and for our church, and I screenshotted it, and now when I turn my phone on, it's the first thing I see. I don't always see it when I'm, when I'm opening my phone, but it's a reminder, and I start praying those things, and we're praying for a hunger and a thirst and a desire for Jesus, to know him more. Because when I know him more, then it helps put this world in perspective. And I can pray that prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So that was the second part. Now today we get to this third part of this prayer. It says, give us, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's it. One verse for today. I mean, many verses, but this is the verse. What is Jesus saying here when he says, give us this day our daily bread? Um, I want to share a story with you. I've got um, basically two stories I want to share with you today. 
Um, we have to understand that when we're praying, a big part of our prayer is understanding both the material and spiritual sides, right? Like there is a spiritual and eternal side of our prayers that matters. And I would say that we would do better to spend more time praying for those things than we would for the material. What do I mean by material things? We, don't, we have people in need, right? People who are hurting, people who um, you know, maybe have some kind of disease, finances, stress, depression. Those are things we should pray for, absolutely. But I think we would do better to pray for spiritual needs, more so than we do physical things. Because what really matters, what did Jesus say? Do, don't fear man who can take your body, but fear him who can take not only your body, but and your soul, right? Like we have to be putting our mind on eternal things, on heavenly things, more so than we do on the material things. Not that the material things don't matter because Jesus clearly said, ask and you will receive. We just come to the Father and ask him. And he is so good to give his good gifts. So there's two sides, but we have to understand that prayer is built upon great trust and faith in God as our faithful provider. So can we pray that prayer? Can we believe that he is our faithful provider even when our perceived needs don't get met? Like that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when you've been praying this prayer for days on end, for weeks on end, for months, even years on end, and you don't see the prayer materialize as God's answering that prayer. But it's like him saying no or not yet, or that he's not even hearing you, right? And those are the times where we have to believe, no, he is, he knows better than I know. His will is better than my will, and he will, he is providing for me what I need. I want to share a story with you. Um, I've probably shared the story before. You hear me say this a lot, because there are stories that just stand out. Um, Christine and I had, we have um, a Compassion International child. Anyone else have any of the uh, Compassion International child? Um, we signed up for Beniza. Since, her, since then, her name has changed to Vanessa. Um, we, we got her when she was like two and a half. Robbie was two. She's six months older than Robbie. We were at a worship conference in Chicago. And we were just walking along, and they had the booth set up. And we're like, how much is this? Tell us more about this. So they set it up, and we were like, you know what? Let's find, we wanted to find a boy. That would be like Robbie's age. Because the ultimate goal is one day we would get to go down um, to Bolivia and meet her and meet her family and just spend time with them. And we haven't done that yet, but we, we got her when she was three. She's now 12, 13. Almost 10 years we've had Beniza. And we give monthly, we send money in every month. We send money for Christmas, send money for her birthday. And she writes us back and she draws. And to see her go from writing little letters, like backwards letters, which if it's in Spanish, I don't know if it's forward or backward, but I can assume, to now she's got beautiful handwriting and she's writing stories and she's sharing parts of her lives and she's asking us questions and I'm just blown away and she's just growing up. And we're at this conference and we're, we got Beniza, and we pray for her, and she's a part of our lives. Um, this is not me promoting Compassion International, although it's one of the few organizations that when they do what, what they do is they do it really well. But their, their president, his name's Wes Stafford. Um, this man loves children, and he loves the gospel. And he shares this story, and I heard this story, and I remember this, this was years ago. He was out visiting, you know, he goes around to the world, and he visits the churches and the organizations that help them do what they do. Um, because each, each, each child has to be in an area where they have a compassion church that is the headquarters and the hub for them to feed and educate their children. Because they're not just getting food, they're not just getting clothes, they're getting an education. Because a lot of times they don't get educated. And in this education, they're also getting a Christian education. 
And so Wes Stafford tells a story, and he said he was out visiting like Africa, and it was a highly Muslim um, country, right? Like illegal to be a Christian. And he's walking around, and, and he's checking in on one of his missionaries, and he asked him, he said, man, how's it going? He's like, well, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel everywhere I go. In fact, let me tell you a story. And he told Wes the story. He said, I was in this village, and I was preaching the gospel, and it was, it was Muslim, and they grabbed me, and they seized me. And they said, do not preach the name of Jesus here again, or we're going to kill you. Well, he kept preaching, and so they seized him again. They said, tomorrow at noon, we're going to execute you. So they took him to the village. Now, if you've ever been to a third world country, um, they don't have like all the amenities we have. Like They literally have dirt floors. Whatever they can find to build a house out of, um, whether it's the, uh, the tin roof or pallets or whatever it is, like they build these little houses, that one-room houses with dirt floors, and they sweep them. They are clean. And this is where they live. And so they don't have power. They may have one electrical line that runs through town and they may tap into it. I was funny. I was on a mission trip in college. We went down to Monterey, Mexico. We went to Santo Domingo. It was a three-hour bus ride on dirt roads to get this little bitty town. And there's chickens running everywhere. There's a river. It was beautiful. They had power through, and I went to one of the huts there, and they had a TV. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you have a TV? You don't even have, like, real walls. <laughs> you have a TV connected, and they're, you know, they're watching soccer or something. And so this is the village, and they, they say they're going to execute this man, at noon the next day, and they take him, they stick him in this chair, and they literally pull the, the, the electrical wires, feeds down, and they're like, Psh, you know, like this, you know, you see the guy with the big rubber glove, like, Psh, we're going to do this to you. And they go to execute the man, and every, the whole town's gathering around, and they go to do it, and guess what happens? The power goes out. Like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to do this tomorrow. So they put everything away. They're going to do it the next day. The next day comes around, the same thing happens. They get ready, everything's working, they get ready to execute the man, and it doesn't happen. Finally, they say, you know what, we don't know what's going on here, but we just want you out of our town. They, are, they understand something's happening for this just to all of a sudden quit. They send him out of the town, and out, out on his way out of the town, he's telling people about Jesus. Wes, here's the story, Wes Stafford, the president of Compassion International, and he says, I'm gonna pray for you, right? And this man says, no, 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 don't, don't pray for me. He says, I'm praying for you. And West Stafford was like, what? Why? No, I need to pray for you. Why are you praying for me? He says, listen, you don't understand. If I don't pray every day, all the time, I will die. We will die over here. You in America, you don't need God. You could go your whole lives without actually needing him to show up and to provide the things in your lives. That You could go your whole life and not need God. He says, I'm praying for you. And I thought, man, that is so true. Isn't that so true? We, I mean, there have been days where I've walked and I've relied on my abilities, my independence. That's really what pride and sin is, us claiming that we're independent of God. That's where it all starts from. And we live in a culture that's so saturated with your dreams, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, make something happen, and we want this independence. And a follower of Christ understands we have total dependence on a God. This is where we need to be. And so he prayed that prayer, and I thought, that really stuck with me because we can literally go out of here and we can eat whatever we want to eat. We usually go, don't go without having a meal or two or three. We have clothes. Like, we pray with our kids that we're thankful for them, but we're thankful for the clothes that we wear, the house that we get to live on, the cars. That, I mean, those are things that we really are thankful for, but not enough. Because when it came down to it, if that was all removed, where would our faith in Christ be? Like these people depended on him for everything, for their very life. And so, he, so I share that with you because we get to this verse and it says, 
give us this day our daily bread. Now, there's multiple pictures here, and I'm not going to go through them all, but there's something that is missing between you and I. There's, there, we can make the jump that when he says, give us this day our daily bread, what he's talking about is an immediate personal need. Like, they needed to know that today the Lord's going to take care of you and feed you. What was happening in the midst of this? Jesus performed some miracles, didn't he? Some of the miracles he performed were involved with a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread, but thousands of people, right? And he took this and he fed them and he, and he multiplied it in the only way that God could do it. And so they took this. Bread was a, a big part of a, a, the Jewish people's lives. It was one of the things that they were able to make. It was part of the, the geographic makeup of the area they lived in. And so bread was a part of it. Um, Jesus, in John chapter 6, he kind of explains this a little more. And uh, I'm going to try to briefly run through it because what I want us to see here is as we're praying our prayers to the Lord, we need to really key in that we're praying for God to provide our daily spiritual needs, right? Like we need him to provide this bread. He is our provider. And so Jesus, he feeds the 5,000 in John chapter six. And these people would come to Jesus because they wanted to get something from him. Isn't that so true of the church in America, right? We're talking about private jets and planes. And we're talking about churches that they care more about their appearance or how many pithy quotes on Twitter their pastor gets more so than actually what the gospel is preaching and saying to us. These people wanted something from Jesus. And so what did they want? They were hungry. What did they want? They wanted him, him to feed them. And so what did Jesus do? He provides a miracle and he has some fish and some bread and he multiplies it and he feeds them. He takes care of a physical need. That's how good God is. He still takes care of our physical needs, even when he knows all we're coming to him for is not something spiritual, but material. And he feeds these people. I mean, people came up to him because they wanted him to heal them, right? They would come miles. They wanted something from Jesus. And he was always compassionate, which is what I love about him. He was always compassionate. So in John chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000, and then he like leaves the area because he needs some away time, right? Like we all know we need a little me time sometimes. Jesus needed a little me time. He needed some father time, really. And so he sends his disciples across, and he goes over. And this is where Jesus walked on the water. But then after this, Jesus in John chapter 6, let me just read it to you. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Right? So they're chasing after him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's a great question, right? What do we need to do to be doing the works of God? And listen to how Jesus answers them. Jesus answered them, he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? He just fed them with loaves. They've seen his signs. He fed them and he took care of their needs. And they want to know, and Jesus answering this, he said, listen, that you believe in him who he sent. And they said, what signs do you have that we may see and believe? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers, now listen to this. This is where this is all coming into place. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave, the, gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. This is where it gets really, really important. Jesus says to them, like he had this way of teaching that would all, they would be like longing for more. And then he's going to hit them with the truth. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall, not, shall never thirst. But I said to you that you may have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so what am I talking about here? Jesus is in the midst of these miracles. There's these festivals going on. They have real needs. Jesus is meeting these needs. And then he hits them. Listen, he's saying, I am the bread of life. The Israelites, he's throwing back to Exodus, right? If you remember, if you go back, the Jews had gone into Israel following Joseph. They were slaves for hundreds of years. Moses is raised up, brings them out of Israel to free them to worship God, Egypt, Israel out of Egypt, to free them to worship. He splits the seas. They cross the seas. Egypt is swallowed up, Pharaoh and all his, his men. They're in the midst of the wilderness and they're grumbling. Well, it would have better to have been slaves and eat meat than to be out here and have nothing to eat. And so God provides this food. He provides this thing called manna. It would come down from heaven and they were, they were told that they would go out and pick up enough to fill you up that day. No more. And on the sixth day, you would pick up twice as much because you weren't to work on the seventh day. They said it was like this bread-like substance that sat on the ground and it, was, it almost tasted like honey and they would eat it. And what the Jews were doing is they were throwing this back, well, Moses did that. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. God provided that for you. He is the sustainer. He is the provider. That's why we say Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's what it means. He is the provider. And so when we pray, our Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, there are multiple means. Yes, it's Lord, supply my needs for today. Right? Like, supply what I need today. This could be a material thing. Yes, we need food to survive right? But our provision goes, God's provision goes more than what we physically need. And so what Jesus is saying is when we're asking God to give us our daily bread, that we need to have a bigger perspective that he is the bread. That yes, we have physical needs, but I would say that even when we pray this prayer, it's a prayer that I'm praying for Christina and I, Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for you, to know you more, to experience you more, to taste your goodness and believe. Because Jesus says, what is the works of following it's to believe, to believe that Jesus is the one who God sent. Sometimes we don't want to believe that. Get my notes out here. Too often we are consumed with the temporal needs and the wants when we should be focusing on the eternal things. When's the last time we prayed for someone intentionally 
for the Lord to wake up. All right? Like we did this who's your one campaign leading up to Easter. And, and I want to get, I'm, gonna, I'm in the process of building this um, cross. Um, it's, like, it's like the opposite of a cross. It's a cross, but it's not like just the cross itself. And, and my idea behind that was, I mean, that we could be writing down names and people and things that we are praying for and that we would post them on this board. And then as these prayers are answered, we take that and we move it to the other side. So that we can physically see as we're writing down and we're praying for specific needs in people's lives, that we see how God answers them. Like, I pray for my kids. I pray for them daily. And I want them to know Jesus above all else. And I pray, Lord, may not I be a stumbling block to their faith, which sometimes I am. Lord, help me display the gospel and the grace that you have to me to them. Lord, I pray that their faith, that you would grow their faith. Lord, just, I'm saying, just save them. Awaken their hearts. And that's for my kids. I'm praying for family members. I'm praying for coworkers. And I'll tell you, sometimes those prayers aren't easy to pray when it feels like you're trying to move a one-ton rock up a three-mile hill. But I also believe that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, <laughs> God can move mountains. And so our prayers, as we're praying, Lord, give us today our daily bread. We're, we're thanking him, or we're remembering that in this moment, God is giving us all that he needs. He's giving us himself. But I would say we have to be looking at the eternal, not just the material. Um, Jesus, he is the ultimate bread of life. He nourishes us spiritually and he satisfies our deep spiritual longings of our souls, right? Like I, I sat and watched the U.S. Open most of the day yesterday. It's a golf tournament. I may have fell asleep once or twice. I was at home with all the kids except one. I mean, I did play Legos with Gavin for a while. We did build a pirate ship. Um... We did have a tickle fight for a while, um, except I don't like them tickling me. I just like, I like to be the one tickling, not the one tickled, because <laughs> I get violent. <laughs> Someone might get hurt. And we spent some time, we had lunch together, and we did breakfast together. And then that afternoon, I'm watching the U.S. Open. I'm just, I'm just crashed out. I'm just like, you know, I'm watching these guys play this course. It's beautiful. It's on the ocean. There was a deer that kind of got trapped in the course yesterday. It's really cool. And I, I love this game, right? I, like, I love playing it with my kids, with my friends. I, like, I enjoy it. It's a, one of the sports that it's like you against everything else. It's not you against someone else, you against everything else. And like, there's a lot of joy in it. You know, like when, when you hit, if you've never played golf, like when you hit a club the way it's supposed to be hit, there's not much of a better feeling. Like, you don't feel anything. That's the cool thing. Or when you, when you make that putt and it drops in, like, it's just, it, like, it makes you smile. You're like, you know, you do a fist pump. You do a tiger. <laughs> you didn't win a million dollars, but you feel good about it. Like, this was a dream of mine. Like, I chased this dream for years. It was more important to me than my faith in Christ. And I think that I've got to remind myself that Jesus he is the only one, only thing that can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls and our hearts. Like, he is it. 
We don't believe that sometimes. That's why our hearts are prone to wander, that we, we run away. And I think part of this prayer is praying, Lord, give us today our daily bread, is not just providing the things that we need, but it's also an understanding, Lord, you've given us Christ to provide all that we need in him. The most clear way God provides for us is that while we were what? Still sinners? Christ did what? And he died for the ungodly. Like that just boggles my mind. Luke chapter 12 verse 7, Jesus talks about God knows he's got every hair on your head numbered. Right? He's talking about the sparrows. I have a tattoo on my arm. Um, and it's a sparrow. And yeah, I thought it was kind of cool when I got it. But, but it's a reminder to me that Jesus, when he's sharing this story, he's like, listen, the sparrows of, of the air, they don't worry about tomorrow. They don't worry about what they'll be fed. It says the Lord takes care of them. How much more valuable are you to God than a sparrow? He'll take care of your needs. I think we need to hear that this morning, that God knows you, he loves you, and he wants to provide those needs for you. I think the problem is we get our needs out of place. And I think if we could just put our faith in Christ every day and believe and just long and thirst for him and know that he is the one that is the, the spring of life. If God provided Jesus to unworthy, selfish, sinful, ungrateful people, then he'll surely give us our daily bread. I'm going to end with this. Is this a short sermon? I hope so. One of the heroes of faith in my life, and I have many, um, is a man named George Mueller. I've talked about him before. George Mueller was a German, um, just a German guy. Moved to England, got saved, moved to England. Um, didn't have a job, didn't know what he was going to do. He moved there, and just so happened that as he was praying, when he was praying, that they needed someone that would be a tutor for English students to learn German. So he took this job because he just got off the boat and he could speak German and English, so he took this job. And then the Lord began to put on him this desire to take care of the orphans. Right now, I was um, spending time with my grandma uh, last Sunday. We went over and saw my grandma. She lives in Illinois. And she is 87 and still sharp as, as ever. Can't see, but she's really sharp um, and so sweet. And she's praying for us. And she's just been such an example to me and my wife and my kids. And she's on her third husband. <laughs> Why do I share that with you? Just because it's, it's my grandma so, so beautiful. My, my, my grandpa, Robert Rash II, um, he died when he was 41 before I was born. Um, he had uh, rheumatic fever, and so his heart is just really hard. And so he, he died when he was 41. Then she married um, Walter Blankenship, who was the grandpa I knew growing up, and they were together for a long time, and then um, he was older, and he had some heart problems, and he passed away, and uh, like, I think I'm renaming my grandma the Widowmaker, um, <laughs> and I remember going to her wedding. She, was, she married Al Johnson. Al Johnson, they grew up together. They were both married in the same church. They went to the same church over in Granite City. They knew each other for years, and they got married. And I went up to my grandma and I said, congratulations, so happy for you. And you know, he's a sweet man. And she turns to me, and she's 84 at the time, I think. And she says, oh, Robbie. She calls me Robbie. She said, 
I'm getting too old for this. This is the last time I do this. <laughs> That's my grandma, right? She is, she is something else. She is a treat. And we went over to see her. And, um, and she's praying for us. And she is a faith in our Lord that is an example for me. Um, and her grandma, or my great-grandma, her mom was an orphan. This is, I'm wheeling, turning around. The, 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 coming back to my original point. My, my grand, great-grandma was an orphan. And she had told me as I forgot. I'm like, man... I can't imagine that. She was scared of men until she met my great-grandpa and says he was so sweet to her. And my, my great-grandma, when I remember her, when she was, she was tiny, tiny little woman, and she had Alzheimer's, and so like, she would tell us the same stories every time we went and saw her. She was sweet. And she could play the harmonica, and she'd get this big harmonica. I mean, she could she call it the French harp. She could play this thing, and she was so sweet. And she was an orphan, you know, like, we, we are so far removed from orphans in this world today. Like, we want to adopt people. I have a friend actually in India right now adopting a child. He's there, there right now picking her up. Um, you know, adoption is a beautiful picture of the gospel, that God takes a child that wasn't a part of the family and brings them in and says, you have full rights. You have my name. You have my blessing. You are one of mine. And so I share this because George Mueller went to England at a time when, when people were having kids and they couldn't provide their basic needs. They're praying our daily bread. They didn't have any bread to give their kids. And so they would go to these orphanages. And he goes there and he starts this orphanage. And the Lord was like, he was just an amazing. They've got books for kids you can read about George Mueller. Read those. They're fantastic. You can read his full biography. And I want to share this with you because as you struggle with prayer, my hope is in that learning about prayer and the Lord's Prayer, that we would learn to pray more. That it wouldn't become this monotonous, I got to pray, but it would be a joy and an honor for us to go to our Father and just speak to Him and ask for Him and listen to Him and see how He answers these prayers because He answers prayers. And here's the story that I, I pulled up from George Mueller. It says, Night was falling over the harbor of Bristol, England, and in the orphanage founded by George Mueller and his wife, the children were getting ready for bed. George was working in his study when, he, when his wife arrived with alarming news. We're out of milk. There isn't enough for the morning oatmeal. George laid aside his pen. This wasn't the first time that money needed to, to buy food and other supplies was tight. The Mueller's uh, took in their first group of 30 girls in 1836. And their orphanage now housed over 100. From the first, from the first George remained resolved never to ask for funds from people or to borrow money. He went to God alone for every need, trusting wholly in the Lord's faithfulness and provision. He never sent out support letters. He never went to churches, organizations, asking for help. All he did was say, Lord, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to trust that you provide for me. The pastor rose from his desk and reached for his wife's hand. It's the first thing he does. It's a beautiful picture. He says, Mary, let us pray. Two orphanage employees joined them, and together they made their humble yet necessary request to God. Tiny, helpless mouths were depending on them for sustenance. Be assured, if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, George reminded them afterwards, he will never fail you. Someone knocked on the door. Mary hurried to answer, returning to the study a moment later. She handed her husband an envelope. It's a letter, George. Hurry up and open it. Enclosed was a sum of money, more than enough for the milk. Within minutes, two more letters arrived with money and pledges of support. This immediate and abundant response to prayer had become a typical experience for Mueller. After he, he came to faith and started meditating seriously on the Bible, he determined to simply trust God at his word. 
As a pastor, he decided to live without a salary, relying only on money given to him. George learned to pray faithfully from his heart, asking his father to move the hearts of men so that they would supply him and his family with what they needed to survive. As a self-proclaimed poor man, regarding good works and holiness, George was well aware of what he lacked spiritually. George had grown up the privileged, arrogant son of a lawyer and routinely drank, gambled, and skipped out on bills. One night, he went to a prayer meeting and everything changed. He got rid of his library of over 300 books and kept only one. You know which one? The Bible. It's the only book George felt he needed now. One night, while seeking the Lord regarding the orphanage, he heard, Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. And so a great experiment of faith began. Faced with the difficulties regarding the rented houses where the children lived, he dreamed of building an orphan home, one with its own land and with every amenity. It took 18 months to amass the initial sum of money. And throughout that time, George counted the days he spent in prayer and recorded the funds as they trickled in. Each donation, God's answer to his prayer, rather than the fruit of a plea to man or money, spurred him to continue. Eventually, he built five homes, costing more than $100,000 to build, which in today's currency, $14 million. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful is what Colossians 4, 2 says. Philippians 4, 19 says, may, may God supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Man, to have a life at the end of our lives where we write down our requests for our needs and to see God answer them. What a testimony of faith to those around us. That they could see God moving and answering prayers in our lives. Like, I am not George Mueller. Right? Like, prayer is not my strongest point, but I'm learning. I'm learning how to pray in every moment as much as I can when I think about it. I'm learning to take Christine by the hand and say, let's pray. Yeah, it may be awkward, it may be weird. Let's just pray. Let's pray. Let's have better prayers that we pray. Let's say, how can I be praying for you today? And then pray those prayers together. Right? Like I love praying, Lord, give Christine a hunger and thirst for you, Jesus, and give me the same. Lord, give us a peace and a comfort of your spirit throughout our days, no matter what happens. Lord, remove any wickedness in my heart. Like I'm learning to pray. My prayer for you is that you would do as well. That prayer wouldn't be this chore, but as we see God as our Father who's good to us, as we see the Lord's hand moving in our world and even in our lives, as we read stories of other people that we pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread, that that prayer would be one, not only of physical needs, but of spiritual needs. Lord, give us you. Because he said, what is the work? The work is believing in Jesus. So, this week, how will you pray? Will you set aside time? Will you lift others up around you? I would encourage you to get either on your phone, a note app, or uh, a journal, or a place in your Bible, and, and maybe start writing down simple prayers. Um, if you want ideas for things to pray, message me or Christine. Um, not that we have all the answers, but we're learning, and we have books that we've read, and um, we're learning how to pray these prayers. I would say open up the Bible and read a psalm and pray that psalm. 
right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And just pray, God, would you be my shepherd today? Would you shepherd my heart? Would you guide me? Those are ways to pray the scripture that I think will just make your prayer life come alive. And so, man, the Lord is good that he gives us our daily bread. Like he, he sustains our lives, both physically and spiritually. And I believe that's what Jesus was talking about, that we would look to God as our provider in all things. Um, we're going to move now into a time of uh, communion, and um, we're trying this out different today. Um, I've got a wine glass. It's not wine, it's grape juice. Um, and we've got some bread over there as well. And what we're going to do during this next song, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to um, start singing this next song. And during this song, you know, what is communion? I mean, it's, it's something that the Scripture commands us to do together. It's a picture, right? Like Jesus clearly said, this is my body is broken for you, and this is my blood. It's a sign of the new covenant. Take it and drink it. And so every time we take communion together, we take the Lord's Supper together, we're reminded, one, of the cost of our sin, two, the sacrifice Christ made for us, and three, that, that this is a promise, right? Like this is a promise to you and I, that one day Jesus said, I, I, will, I will not drink of this cup until the day I come back. And so it, it puts, our, puts us, our minds in the past, in the present, and the future. And so this, this is our table for those of you in Christ. I would just, you know, as we sing, as we worship, um, take it as a family. Um, go grab a piece. And we're going to do the, the tear and dip. Um, so... If you're the last person, you can take the thing and drink it. Um, but we're going to take it. You can dip it. And just take it back to your seat. Um, maybe get together with each other if you'd like to do that. And let's just remember God's goodness to us in Christ. Like we remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, rose again on the third day, and he promises to come back and to make all things right. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll move into this. God, thank you for um, your church. God, I thank you, Lord, that you give us this promise that if we ask, we receive it. Lord, you give us this promise that you are the wellspring of life. God, that we can come boldly before you because Christ sits on our behalf pleading for us.